Hello, welcome to Bible Read Me. I am Charles Van Dersen. Today I will begin summarizing the daily chronological reading beginning on June the 4th, day 155. We read the Song of Songs. This title means that from Solomon's life through the Jewish exile in Babylon, this was considered the number one song on the charts, so to speak. Interestingly, there is no explicit mention of God and the New Testament writers never directly quoted it. Theologians' interpretive opinions have differences. For example, Dr. John MacArthur and Dr. Charles Ryrie believe that the book is an historical narrative composed by one author, Solomon. However, others believe that, quote, while loosely connected in tradition with Solomon, one of the poems appears to observe his first wedding, they are not the work of a single poet, a collection of 20 to 40 poems. The song teaches no lesson and tells no story. It extols human life in courtship and marriage by letting the lovers speak for themselves. End quote. Reference the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, 1962, R through Z, page 424. Either way, quote, it is given by God to demonstrate his intention for the romance and loveliness of marriage, the most precious of human relations, and the grace of life. End quote. Reference 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and the MacArthur Bible Commentary, page 744. June the 5th, day 156. We read about Solomon's downfall. The wisest man of all time caused all that he had so marvelously built to be completely destroyed. In spite of his two personal interactions with God, his abundance of wisdom, and his basking in the glory of an economic Eden of immeasurable prosperity during 40 years of unparalleled peace, he abandoned the God who made it all possible by rejecting his commands and by openly worshiping the detestable idol gods of the Sidonians, Moabites, and the Ammonites. In response, God raised up three adversaries, one internal and two external, and used the foolishness of Solomon's arrogant son, who succeeded him to dismantle the kingdom. Through the prophet Ahijah, God made the same conditional promise, like the one he made to David, of an enduring dynasty to Jeroboam of Ephraim, the first ruler of the northern tribes, when the kingdom split. Finally, we start reading Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. His objective was to warn others that because of the complete permeation of mankind's sin and the resulting effects on all earthly creation, it is impossible for anyone to ever gain any lasting satisfaction from anything desired apart from living a life of faith that is fully yielded to God. June 6, day 157. We read what Solomon really thought about human existence on earth. He repeatedly uses the word vanity in its various forms to communicate the futility in anyone trying to find satisfaction in life apart from God. Using his seemingly unlimited time and resources, he set out to make sense of the meaning and purpose of life. He observed the imperfections of human relationships and the disappointment that comes from a life of striving to fulfill temporal desires. This is the constant theme throughout the book. The overarching inference is that man's brief lifespan is hemmed in and restrained so that his abilities and imagined possibilities are limited to God's plan. 
Like a bug in a jar that can see the unlimited expanse of creation, he is at the mercy of the one holding the lid. No matter what he does or what happens to him in the jar, the only important factor is ultimately determined by whether or not he pleases the jar holder. However, this frustrated opinion of earthly living was redeemed by his concluding verses, reference Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. It was these two verses that helped some perplexed early theologians to overcome their objections before agreeing to canonize the book of Ecclesiastes. June 7th, day 158. We read more wise observations of various subjects from Solomon as a preacher. He probably meant for these to be meditated on more intently and in smaller increments, but doing that would hinder our goal to get through the whole Bible in a year. Remember that his goal is to remind us that there is no absolute perfection to be gained in this fallen world and that we should do the best we can with what we have received while remembering that there will be an ultimate righteous judgment of our individual life choices at the end. Here are some select verses about good versus evil. Quote, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. End quote. Quote, God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. End quote. Quote, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel that it is safe to do wrong. End quote. Quote, that is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. End quote. June the 8th, day 159. We read the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon warned and reminded that each person should make wise choices in life because God will judge their every thought and action. We already read the account of Solomon's death back on June the 5th. Next, his foolish son Rehoboam met with all Israel in Shechem for his coronation. But the people first asked him to relieve them from the heavy burden of labor and taxes. Rehoboam foolishly rejected the wise advice of the elders and stupidly followed the whims of his spoiled peers, fulfilling the prophecy that the kingdom would split. The ten northern tribes then crowned Jeroboam king. God warned Rehoboam against his plan to reunite the kingdom through civil war, so he ruled only over the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Jeroboam in the north feared that his subjects might be persuaded to reunite with Rehoboam whenever they made their three annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem in Judah. So he set up two golden calves and accompanying pagan altars to divert the pilgrims from entering the southern kingdom. Finally, since Jeroboam employed non-Levites as priests, the true Levites abandoned all their properties and defected to Judah, along with all the devout worshippers of the one true God. June the 9th, day 160. We will begin reading more historical narrative than I can adequately abridge within this short space. In addition, from now on, each day there will be two simultaneous historical narratives given because the kingdom split into Judah in the south and Israel in the north. So my summary of today's reading is that God's covenant with Israel in the north was broken by King Jeroboam's national promotion of idol worship. An unnamed prophet accurately prophesied the name of the king, Josiah, who would purge the land of pagan worship some 300 years later. We'll see that in July the 29th reading. 
Jeroboam refused to repent and as prophesied, his son Nadab succeeded him. But Basha assassinated him and murdered his entire household to make himself king of the northern ten tribes of Israel. In Judah of the south, the Lord allowed King Shishak of Egypt to attack Jerusalem, taking all of Solomon's glorious gold. God allowed Judah to become subjects of Egypt so that they will know the difference between serving the merciful God and serving cruel man. Finally, Asa, a good king, and David's great-great-grandson, was crowned king in Judah. June the 10th, day 161. The historical narrative becomes a little more confusing in this part because it is being drawn from three books. The books of 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, which recorded the history of both kingdoms, but 1st and 2nd Chronicles only focuses on the southern kingdom because that was the home of its intended readers. The overarching purpose of 1st and 2nd Chronicles was to encourage the returning Jews who had been exiled to Babylon for 70 years to wholeheartedly return to God. The author inferred that the exile was a result of the Jews' departure from the Mosaic Law. The recurring emphasis is that obedience will invite the return of God's blessings and rebellion will result in even more horrific consequences. Since polytheistic idolatry was the worst offense, the adherence to monotheism, that being one God only, became their theological mantra. This is the reason why the idea of Jesus being equal to God was so offensive to the Pharisees. Second Chronicles only records information about the southern kingdom during events where both kingdoms are involved. The confusion can also come from the names. There are men of the same or similar names and characters with more than one name. There are two named Ahijah, two named Jehoram, two named Jehoash, two named Jehoahaz, two named Jehoshaphat, two named Abijah, with one of them also being called Abijam, and Uzziah also being called Azariah. There is a Jeroboam 1 and a Jeroboam 2. And additionally, there is also a Jehoiakim and a Jehoiachin. King Asa in Judah was constantly at war with King Basha of Israel. Basha was fortifying a stronghold to support his attacks southward. To alleviate this threat, King Asa used the rest of the temple valuables left behind by King Shishak of Egypt to buy out Basha's ally, thereby weakening Basha's power. For his lack of faith, God caused King Asa's reign to be in a constant state of war. Then his son, Jehoshaphat, a good king, succeeded him. Zimri assassinated King Basha of Israel and reigned for only one week because Omri assassinated him. Next, his son Ahab, who married Jezebel, a daughter of a Baal priest, succeeded him as Israel's king. It was during this time that Joshua's curse came to pass. From March the 23rd's reading, the curse was that any man who would rebuild Jericho, that would be in Israel of the north, would suffer the untimely deaths of his oldest and youngest sons. Finally, the prophet Elijah suddenly appears to King Ahab to command a drought to be inflicted over the land. This ends this week's readings. My next podcast episode will begin on the summary of readings from June the 11th, day 162. I look forward to your visit then. May God bless you.